Zoe Fellowship is gathering for outdoor services under the guidelines and restrictions of the CDC and Richardson County. Join us in the parking lot of Korean World Mission Baptist Church at 1 p.m. on Sundays. Hi, you're listening to the Zoe Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Zoe Fellowship exists to have fellowship with God and with one another and to extend that fellowship to others through the work of Jesus Christ. This week's sermon is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 24, and is preached by Pastor Paul Hong. Uh, If you guys have your Bibles, we are in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, It's obviously written out in the Chubo there as well. Uh, So you can look at that. But before we get in there, uh, um, I don't know about you guys. uh, I actually failed my first driver's test. So when I was my uh, when I was trying to get my license, uh, I actually failed the first time I took it. Uh, what happened was uh, I was really I was nailing the test. Okay, I was driving. I was, you know, smooth turns, smooth left turns, all that stuff. I parked perfectly. I even parallel parked perfectly. And we're in Oklahoma. We never parallel park, and so uh, but we're still required to do it for some reason in the test. And so, but I did that well. I passed with flying colors um, all the way up until the very end, uh, that our, our DMV has an intersection right in front of it with like stop red lights and stop lights and stuff. And you basically, you make a left turn into the parking lot, right? And so I was driving up, and maybe when I was about like, I don't know, 25 feet away from the stoplight, from the intersection, the uh, green light turned yellow. And so I had to make a choice in that split second where I only have about 25 feet or so, uh, whether I should go for it or if I should slam on the brakes, right? And being a 16-year-old boy, I decided to go for it because that's what 16-year-old boys do, right? So I go for it, pull in the parking lot, park perfectly, and I'm kind of like, I don't know if that was the right choice. And the instructor says that, hey, you did a really great job. You nailed it. You're on fire, man. But guess what? I have to fail you because you ran that yellow. And so I had to wait another week before I had to get my license. It was really intense because I had prom the next week, and I did not want my dad to drive me and my prom date to prom. And so that was really – but unfortunately, I did pass the second time, and I was able to get that. But I I ended up failing that first test, and that was really awful. But all to say, why do I tell you all this? It's because today's passage that we're going to be in Genesis 22 is 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 a story about a test of faith, right? It is a test that needs to be passed. Right? Believe it or not, after today, we only have three more Sundays left in November, right? We have, I think, maybe not including today, we may only have seven or eight Sundays left in 2020. Um, uh, but we only have two more sermons in Abraham's story that we've been in since the beginning of September. We'll actually begin the Gospel of Matthew starting in uh, December, which I look forward to, and we'll do that every December through February for the next five years. We'll finish Matthew in five years. So February 2025, we actually may have a new president then. We have a new one now, (laughs) Um, and it's kind of crazy, but that's when we'll finish the Gospel of Matthew. So look forward to that, God willing. But all that to say, sorry, all that to say, we've been in Abraham's story since the beginning of September. And here, in Genesis chapter 2, we finally get to maybe the climax of Abraham's story, okay? And you could even argue that this might be the most dramatic moment in the entire book of Genesis. And that's saying something because there is a whole lot of drama in Genesis, as you know by now. Uh, We've been climbing up to this summit, figuratively, uh, for the past two and a half months. It starts off, if you remember, in Genesis 12 with a call on Abraham 
from God to leave his father's house, leave all his comforts behind, and go to a land that he is going to show him. And there, God makes a covenant with Abraham, saying that he will make of him a great nation. He will bless him and make his name great so that he will be a blessing. He will bless those who bless him, and he will curse those who dishonor him. And in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then on top of that, as Abraham leaves his homeland and enters into this new land that the Lord has shown him, the Lord promises him that the land, this, this entire land called Canaan, will belong to Abraham's offspring, okay, his children. Now the problem, of course is that Abraham does not have any offspring, right? He has no descendants, and his wife is barren. And so making offspring is sort of a problem for him, right? And it's actually the first of many problems, if not the central problem. But we find out that Abraham, as the story continues, uh, is, is a coward, and he fears for his life. Uh, he uh, sells off his wife to the Pharaoh because of, he's uh, fearing for his life. Uh, he has conflict with his nephew over land and space, and so that they are forced to separate. But in the end, Lot is actually captured by a bunch of foreign kings, and so Abraham has to go to war and conquer all these other kings so that, uh, so that he could save Lot, his nephew. And then his wife, not only Abraham, but his wife, Sarah, uh, taking matters into her own hands, has, gives Abraham to, uh, tells Abraham to take Hagar, who is an Egyptian uh, servant girl, and tells Abraham to take her as his wife to try and produce an offspring so that Sarah could adopt that child as her own. And of course, this would ultimately cause conflict within their home, which I imagine having two wives can do that. Um, but God would show them that this was not his will, that this was not the plan of redemption, that we were not supposed to take that into our own hands. And then Abraham has to try and save his nephew again from the oncoming judgment on the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And after that, he sells his wife off again to another foreign king and has a dispute over a water well. But through all of that, through all this conflict, right, the Lord is protecting and preserving and guiding the eventual promised offspring of Abraham and Sarah. Their son, Isaac, is born, bringing them great laughter. If you guys remember, Isaac's name means he laughs. Um, but it's a great laughter of joy that is brought into the household. And th so through the decades of waiting on uh, the promise of offspring, through conflict, fear, doubt, sin, and shame, the Lord has sovereign, is, or was sovereignly accomplishing his plan of redemption through Abraham and Sarah, maybe even despite them. And so we get here up to this point, and it seems like everything seems to be going great. Okay, everything seems to be going great for Abraham and Sarah. And then we get here, right, to chapter 22. So read, read chapter 22 along with me now. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, 
But there is, well, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, uh, in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his first son, Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, uh, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Maakah. This is the word of the Lord. I have four observations. Okay, and then I'll, I'll have three applications for you guys. The first observation is this. The Lord is testing Abraham, right? Pretty clear. Verses 1 and 2 shows the Lord is testing Abraham. The beginning of the story is laid out, uh, or at least it lays out the nature of the event of what we're about to see, right? Um, this is a testing of Abraham's faith in the Lord. Now, this is significant because when people look at this story, especially people who don't quite understand the context of what's happening here, um, what they, all they see here is the problem of God telling a person to kill his own son, right? To kill a child's sacrifice. That is the issue here. And so they think God is a cruel, mean God who, like, just plays tricks on humanity. But this was not that. When in verse 1 it says God is testing Abraham, it shows that the Lord had no intention of Abraham actually going through and killing his son. That was the idea. It is showing that this is actually just a test, and you have to look at it that way, right? And so, and you have to also understand the historical context as well, where child sacrifice was very normal back in, the, in, back in Abraham's day. There, the other pagan cults that lived around Abraham, that child sacrifice would have been totally normal. If they were outsiders looking in and hearing what Abraham had to do, they'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, God's going to bless you then, that means, or something like that. They would have understood it, but this was unusual, right, for Abraham, right? And, and, and this is a testing of uh, Abraham's faith in the Lord. Now, <clears throat> the stakes of this test are monumental, right? And it's laced throughout the language. Uh, the Lord tells him, take your son, right, indicating it's not some other son, but the one that belongs to Abraham, and says, and then he adds, your only son, right? Is this Abraham's only son? No, he, he actually technically has Ishmael, 
right? Who he, ex he expelled from his camp. But when, what, he, what is happening here, while technically Isaac is not his only son, what this does do is emphasize the value of Isaac, right? This, and not in terms of dignity or, or um, humanity, but because of the decades of waiting and the self-sabotage that he and Sarah put themselves through. And then maybe most importantly, through Isaac, all of God's promises to Abraham will be fulfilled, right? Ishmael is long gone. Abraham has no fallback plan now. Isaac is the only son in that he is his son. He is, he, all of Abraham's future lies in Isaac. And then it adds, whom you love, right? We saw Abraham's fatherly love for Ishmael when Sarah demanded that the Egyptian servant woman Hagar and Ishmael be thrown out of the camp. And, and Abraham was enraged that this request was even made at all. How much more so then must his love be for Isaac? Right? How much more devastating must this request have been for Abraham? Right? This isn't simply expulsion from his household. It is, it's death. He has to kill his own son with his own hand. And this isn't some request from his nagging wife. It's from the Lord himself who has brought him this far anyway. It's not something that he could just simply easily dismiss. And so this, this is weighing heavily on Abraham, and it shows us through the language. Now, Abraham is told to go to this land of Moriah, which is believed to be near present-day Jerusalem, right? It's on that same hill, apparently. Now, and this leads us to the second observation. Abraham trusts and obeys the Lord, right? So Abraham is, test, is being tested by God, and then Abraham trusts and obeys the Lord, verses 3 through 8. Abraham does what the Lord commanded him, despite the shock and confusion that he must have suffered when he had considered what he must do in that moment. He rose early the next morning, showing the immediacy of his obedience, much like previous times that the Lord had commanded him to do. Now, apparently, it took about three days to get from Beersheba to Moriah. He took some young men with him, and what he says to them is actually very revealing, right? He says that he... Abraham and the boy will go and worship, and then both of them will come back. Now, Abraham fully knows what he has to do, right? And so why did he say that, that both of them would come back? Right, it's clear at this point that the young men who came with Abraham and Isaac did not know what Abraham was intending to do, right? So that, like for, him, for Abraham to say that to them, it was like, oh, okay, cool, see you later. And now it's clear that, Ab and it shows us then that Abraham has faith at this point. Something that we often don't see him with in uh, difficult moments like this. Because he has faith because he says that he and the boy will both come back. He didn't know what the Lord would do. But he was confident and convinced that he'd come back with Isaac by his side. And this is a great portrait of faith, actually. Right? Uh, faith is an absolute knowledge of something. Okay? There are things that we simply do not know for sure. Faith is being convinced by the evidence of unseen things. There's assurance of hope, and this is exactly what Abraham had. He went in with a fire and a knife to offer up his own son as a burnt offering, but he was confident for some reason that he'd walk back out with his son fully alive. And so while there is distress and confusion and turmoil about the thing he had to do, he was somehow had the faith in the Lord to know that he would be back with his son by his side. Now, Isaac, at this point, is probably in his 20s, okay? Some time has passed by. 
Uh, he is then probably a strong, able-bodied man. He's strong enough that Isaac can load him up with all these sticks and lay it on Isaac's back for him to carry up the hill. And in one of the saddest, maybe most ironic sequences that we see in the Bible, we see Isaac turn to his loving father and see that there is wood and there's a fire. His father has a knife, and yet there is no lamb to sacrifice. And so he asks his father, where is the lamb? I see the fire and the wood. Who are you, who, what are we going to kill to sacrifice to the Lord? But Abraham responds with another statement of faith. God will provide a sacrifice. This, and this is exactly what happens in our third observation, okay? The third observation is this. The Lord provides a sacrifice for worship. Okay, the Lord provides a sacrifice for worship. Verses 9 through 14. Abraham builds the altar. He binds his son Isaac, and he lays him there. Now, this is really fascinating because Abraham, at this point, right, might be 120-plus years old, right? Because if Isaac is 20-plus years old and Abraham had Isaac, was, uh, gave birth to Isaac uh, at 100 years old, then he's like 120-plus years old at this point. And so it seems unfeasible to think that uh, Abraham overpowered Isaac and bound him and laid him on this makeshift altar, right? That would be pretty strange. However, the alternate reality might even be stranger. That Isaac willingly obeyed, knowing full well what was about to happen, right? We probably can't assume that uh, Isaac was simply too ignorant about the sequence of events that was happening, right? So here's, they build this altar of wood together, right? He's going to light it on fire, and then his dad suddenly starts tying him up, and he's like, what's happening? Like, there's probably, Isaac is probably not like that. He's probably not uh, ignorant at this point about what's happening, and so what is so strange then, and that what we have to assume that the scripture is silently suggesting to us, is that Isaac was simply an obedient son. He just did what his father told him to, right? And so in maybe the most dramatic, climactic moment we have seen in the narrative up to this point, Abraham grabs his knife, ready to slit the throat of his own son like he would a sacrificial lamb, when suddenly an angel of the Lord calls out to Abraham from heaven and stops him. And so the angel reveals that the Lord was testing Abraham to see if he truly feared God in that moment, that Abraham was willing to give up his only son in faith that God would raise him from the dead, even if he had followed through. And so Abraham then looks up and finds that there is a ram whose horns were caught in a thicket. And so Abraham took the ram and offered it up as a substitute burnt offering instead of his own son. Right? Talk about calling it, right? So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And then finally, the fourth observation, the Lord reaffirms his promises based off of Abraham's obedience, right? The Lord reaffirms his promises based off of Abraham's obedience. In, uh, verses 15 to the end, the narrative then begins to sort of simmer down, okay? Uh, again, the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham and affirms the covenant promise he had made at the beginning of this whole journey of Abraham, right? That God would bless him. He would multiply his offering as the stars in the skies and as the sea of the sand shores, or of this, as the sand on the seashore, and his offspring will possess the gate of his enemies. This is actually a new uh, promise that was added to the covenant, meaning he would have military victory in the land that he would be uh, uh, taking. And through Abraham and his obedience to the Lord, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. Verse 19 then shows Abraham and Isaac returning to the young men who are waiting for them, just like he had called them. 
Um, and, and then they return back to their home, Beersheba, together. Right? Seems like, oh, that just happened. And then there's this little, the chapter ends with this small tag, right? Um, about Abraham's brother, Nahor. And apparently Abraham hears of his family from his homeland that his brother has had his own offspring. And so it seems a bit out of place, but really the main point here is uh, to tie Abraham and Isaac to the events of chapter 24, which we will get to in a few weeks, right? In chapter 24, we will see Isaac and Rebekah, which is mentioned in verse 23. And we'll see Isaac and Rebekah meet for the first time. And what this does is simply further affirm and fulfill the promises of God to Abraham, right? It is Abraham's offspring, his descendants from his lineage that will inherit the promised land. And so, yes, Rebekah then technically is Isaac's cousin, but in ancient days, this was not totally unusual. And so, but what this did do was keep the covenant within Abraham's lineage, right? It would not be to someone who was not from Abraham's lineage, such as Hagar, right? It would, be, it would stay within the lineage of Abraham. Now, the main point of this test of faith, what this, the main point, what we're supposed to see in all of this is simply this, that the Lord has provided a sacrifice, though, that we can worship him. Right? The Lord has provided a sacrifice so that we can worship him. And so we should. We should worship him. Right? What, and, and why there needs to be sacrifices? Because we've sinned against the Lord. Right? We have broken our relationship because of our sin and our rebellion, our disobedience to him. And, so, and then we, our sacrifices are not enough to close that gap between, him, between us and the Lord. And so the Lord has to reconcile us to himself through his own sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And that would be his own son, Jesus, right? And so in, through the cross of Christ, through his substitutionary death, our sins would be atoned for. And then that gap is closed. And so now we can freely worship him where we couldn't before because uh, the gap has been closed because of our sin, right? And so what that does is that now that we can worship him, worship, of course, is a very broad word. It can mean a lot of things. And so the applications I'm going to give you are forms of worship, bits and pieces where we can find ways where we can worship him uh, based off of this passage, okay? And so it's a really broad. It's the whole of life uh, is meant to be worship. And so the first application is this. Be ready. Be ready to trust and obey the Lord when you are being tested. Be ready to trust and obey the Lord when you are being tested. My wife and I just got back, and Ungi as well. He was not, we didn't leave him here. Um, we just got back from a vacation. We went to Colorado Springs this past week. Uh, we, were, we, came back, uh, we left on Monday. We came back on Friday. Um, but while we were there, I got the opportunity to uh, go up this steep mountain climb called the Incline. Uh, apparently, it's, this, uh, it's about a mile hike up this slope and it's not really a hike they actually had stairs that you were just supposed to climb right um and now a mile in my mind like didn't seem that like uh like that's scary at all like i was like oh i can do a mile i can run a 10 minute mile like that's not a big deal but then doing it up <laughs> doing it up a giant like a mountain like the steep slope was really difficult right it was funny because it was me and, and two other friends from our group. We decided to go. We were really gung-ho. We were like, we're going to do this. Like, we could do this, guys. Like, we were super optimistic. Um, and then uh, we got there. We, we got off the shuttle bus from the parking lot. And we had to climb up this hill to kind of, like, register because of COVID. Only a, lot, a certain amount of people were allowed there at the time. And we had to climb this hill, and we got to the registration place, and we're like, we're done. Like, it's way too hard. Like, this hill was way too much, and we're not even at the stairs yet, right? Um, but we're like, okay, but we came this far. We got to do this. And so we decided to go, right? 
And so we, the first few hundred steps, we, uh, we took a break and we're like, I don't think we can do this, guys. <laughs> like, we're not going to make it up this hill. It was way too difficult. We were out of breath. We were sweating. We were getting lightheaded and dizzy because the elevation's so high, right? But we sat there. We calmed down. We caught our breath. We, you know, waited till our heart, heart rate was slower. And then we're, okay, you know what? Let's, let's keep going. And there's no shame in, in just going back down later, right? Let's just keep going for now, right? And so we, we went another 50, 100 steps or so, and we took another break. Um, and then we're like, oh, man, and we need to just catch our breath again, slow down, and then we decide, okay, let's keep going. And so we kept going, maybe 50 steps, 100 steps at a time. And it took us two hours, but we got to the top, right? And what's crazy, because while we were going, like, on the steps, it marks, like, how many steps you went. And, this, and, and the whole climb is about 2,768 steps. That's what was told to us. And on the, like every hundred, like you were told how many, it was like 1,700, 1,800, 1,900, right? All the way to the top. And it was really encouraging because every time we took a break and we, like, we saw like, oh, we made it to 1,800, we, were more, we got more and more confident that we were going to make it. Because at the very bottom, as gung-ho as we were, as energetic as we were, we were, we were like, we're not going to make this. But as we kept climbing and we, as we saw that we were making progress and we could see the top, it was like, oh, I think we can make this. And the last like 50 or so steps, we actually ran because we're like, we can, it's right there, let's just do it, you know? Like, and so we actually did it. Now, all that to say, when we look at Abraham, isn't it fascinating that he was so easily able to say yes to this? Like, I mean, it wasn't easy, obviously, but like he was like, okay, Lord, I'll sacrifice my son, right? I can do that. And, and like clearly passing this test. And what I think is happening here is what we see is this is Abraham looking back on this journey. He has a he has a healthy twenty uh, something year old son at this point, and he's saying he's not even here if the Lord hadn't brought him to here to me, despite all my failure and sin and shame. And I think throughout this journey where we are seeing Abraham and Sarah stumble and fall all the way through it, while uh, the Lord is guiding them and protecting this uh, promise that he's made to them, we're seeing Abraham's faith actually grow to a point where he can actually say, yes, I can do this. What is something so difficult? He can say, yes, I can do this because the Lord has brought him that far. And so James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, which is another word for perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I think that's where Abraham was. And that's where we can learn. As we, uh, when we're being tested, this is why we must trust and obey so that we can grow in steadfastness and we can start passing more and more difficult tests. Now, I imagine that the tests that the Lord gives us in our life usually aren't like huge tests like, kill your son. Like, it's probably not that in our lives. It's more like little short quizzes or something like that. Quizzes from God where you have a difficult boss that you have to deal with, where you have a difficult coworker, there's you have a broken relationship with somebody that's hard to restore. And these are little tests of faith that are helping you grow in your trust in the strength of God to carry you through. And that's what these tests are for, right? To produce uh, tests of faith that will produce steadfastness in us so that we can ultimately reach the end. So be ready to trust and obey the Lord when you are being tested. Second application. Be ready to sacrifice anything if it will help you to follow Jesus. Right? Be ready to sacrifice anything if it will help you follow Jesus. What's fascinating about this story of Isaac, or the Abraham and Isaac, is the, is the many connections there are to Jesus and his story. 
Like, consider Isaac, right? He is uh, an only son. He's a beloved son. He's a promised son. As Jesus is, he is a beloved son of the Father, right? He's the only son, only begotten son. He is a promised son. He's the promised offspring of Abraham, actually, right? And so we see this connection there. And, and then on top of that, as Isaac is going up a hill, he has a bundle of wood on his back on which he will die on, or he's supposed to die on. Much like Christ himself, who had to carry a wooden cross up a hill in which he will die on. And about there is kind of where the similarities sort of fall apart, because then it's like, well, then, but Isaac doesn't die on that thing, right? But Jesus does. And so what this actually shows, right, while there are these similarities, what this actually shows is we are Isaac in this story. And, and the original readers, the original audience, Israel, the Israelites, they're reading this and they're like, oh, wait a second, a sacrifice must be provided for us. Otherwise, we have to sacrifice ourselves, in a sense. Our sacrifices don't mean anything. God has to provide the sacrifice. And that's exactly what happened to us. Now, isn't it fascinating, then, that uh, Abraham, in the moment of faith, he's, he's uh, stopped by the angel of the Lord, and then he looks, behold, there's a ram caught in a thicket. His horns are caught in a thicket. And here, this is where Abraham takes the ram and substitutes the ram as a burnt offering in place of Isaac. And isn't it weird that this ram whose horns, or crown if you will, is stuck in a thorny bush, like a bush full of thorns. That's what a thicket is. And so you have a substitute sacrifice with a crown of thorns, right? The, the, the connection there is right there. That instead, actually the ram represents Jesus in this. That he is the one who takes, is the substituted as the sacrifice for our sins, right? So that we can now, Isaac, the Isaacs, the sons of Abraham, us, by faith, can now worship the Lord, right? And be in relationship with him. It is amazing, right? Paul says in Romans 8, 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This wonderful promise that we have from the Lord is amazing because then now, our sacrifices are not out of duty to try and close this gap between us and God. We're not trying to, like, get right with God. Christ has done that for us. The sacrificial lamb, he has made us right with God. And now our sacrifices, our obedience, now are out of love for God and love for people. And so this is how we can do this. When, we, when I'm saying be ready to sacrifice anything if it will help you follow Jesus, I'm saying... Following Jesus means loving one another, right? If you're a member of Zoe, I think everybody here except Heidi, will, she will be, but everybody here is a member of Zoe Fellowship, and therefore there's this expectation that you will love each other. In that, you will sacrifice for each other, whatever that may look like, whether it be your time or money or emotions or energy or whatever the case is, you will sacrifice for each other out of love, not because you have to, but out of love, out of commitment to the body of Christ. And what that does it, is that it not only helps you to follow Jesus, it helps the person you are loving to follow Jesus and love Jesus and love God, right? So be ready then, right? Be ready. This is how we can worship the Lord. Be ready to sacrifice anything if it will help you to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's difficult because sometimes it, our time is valuable. Our money is valuable to us. Right? Our jobs, our, our uh, reputations, these things are val uh, really valuable to us. But it means 
we have to, but we have to be willing to let go of those things in a heartbeat in order that we can love God and love our neighbor better. Last, last application. Be ready to receive the blessing that comes at the end. Okay, be ready to receive the blessing that comes at the end. Uh, so if you look at Abraham's story, you see at the very end where the angel of the Lord uh, reaffirms the covenant that he made with Abraham, right? He says about that he's going to bless him, uh, or he's going to have a great name, uh, he's going to, you'll be a blessing to others, uh, bless those who bless him, curse those who dishonor him, all those things, all those are right there, right? And so we see that because of Abraham's obedience, the Lord is further affirming the blessings that he has promised already to give. And then, not only that, in, in that tag we see about Nahor, Abraham's brother, uh, there is more blessing coming that Abraham doesn't even know about at this point in the story, right? Because he doesn't know yet that Isaac will one day meet Rebekah and that the lineage, the, 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 the inheritance will stay within his own lineage. He doesn't know that yet, but it will bless him to know that one day when that actually happens, right? And so he was ready to receive the blessing at the end of this test. Now, for us, when, when uh, me and my friends got up to the top of the incline, right, in Colorado Springs, uh, all we did there uh, is take some pictures, right? We took some pictures of the scenery. We took a few selfies. We felt accomplished. This, this thing is from there. We're like, yeah, we did it together, you know, like that kind of stuff. We had some com new camaraderie. Uh, like we met some nice people. We made friends with some chipmunks. Like it was a really good time. And then it took an hour and a half to walk all the way back down. We took the scenic route. It was really cool. But like overall, it was like a five-hour trip. Uh, for the next two days, our backs and glutes and hamstrings and quads and calves and toes were all totally sore. We were aching all over the place. But if you were to ask it, was the two days of pain afterwards, was uh, five hours of time on your, of your day worth it for a selfie at the top of that mountain? Was it worth it, really? And if you were to ask the two people I went with and myself, uh, if you were to ask us if it, that question, we, I think I could speak for them and say, absolutely, it was totally worth it, right? The sense of accomplishment we had and like, like the selfie was cool and the, the scenery was majestic and we felt totally better and superior to everyone else after we had finished that hike. Now I say that because it's like we go through a lot of stuff for what seems like only a little feedback, right? It seems like a little thing. A selfie seems like a really small little thing to, to go through a lot of pain for, right? And I imagine some of you are going through, or all of us obviously are going through 2020, but some of you I'm, I'm, like, have been through a lot of stuff already in 2020. It's been a terrible year for a lot of us, right? Some of us, our parents have COVID or like had COVID. We had a church member die from coronavirus. People have lost jobs, Right? People have had to make huge changes in their life because things are just really, really, really difficult. 2020 has not been easy. It has been a steep uphill climb. But let's just pretend at 11.59 p.m. December 31st, 2020, the Lord returns. Right? Let's say he just comes back. I think when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I think at the end of it, you look at 2020 and be like, yeah, that was totally worth it. It seems like a little thing just to hear those words, just to hear approval from our Lord and master, Jesus. But I think 
I think going through a lot of testing and trials, and building our faith, building steadfastness in the Lord and our knowledge of God, I think it's totally worth it in the end. Let me pray for us.